0: Hey Forest Hill, welcome to week 13 of our trade-up series. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome to Forest Hill. My name is Todd Lesher, I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I work with our Next Gen Ministry. If you've been with us for the past 13 weeks, we're glad to be together. We miss you every single week, but thank you for joining us today. If you are joining with us and watching live online, then give me a fist bump in the comments below. I'm glad you're here too. Forest Hill is made up of six churches throughout the greater Charlotte area, and we exist for the purpose of building bridges that connect everyone to dynamic life in Christ. This is what the Trade Up series is all about. We believe that Jesus Christ is God, and that following him is the best way to live. Not just because he was a good person or an inspirational teacher, we believe these things about Jesus because he rose from the dead. When you decide to follow Jesus, you are trading up your way of living and seeing the world with his way of living and seeing the world, which we would call a dynamic life. Another way to put it is loving God with all you are and loving your neighbor as yourself, which our world needs a whole lot of right now. Before we get into it, here's a quick recap of our trade-up series. We've been working through the life and ministry of Jesus through the Biography of Mark, also known as the Gospel of Mark. It's one of four historical accounts of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in our New Testament sections of the Bible. Mark wasn't one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but he probably became a Jesus follower through one of the 12 disciples named Peter. We are reading a biography of Jesus through the pen of Mark and the eyes of Peter. Now, to the best of our understanding, Jesus did his public ministry for about three to three and a half years, and the way that Mark organized his gospel was chapters one through ten are all about three years worth of Jesus's life, and then Mark chapters 11 through 16 contain one week worth of Jesus's life. That's where we are in Mark 13, right in the middle of the week leading up to Jesus' death on the cross. Two weeks ago, Jonathan talked about how Jesus wants to remove the things that get in the way of us living a dynamic life in Christ. And I love what he said. As a church, as followers of Jesus, we want to be bridge builders and barrier breakers so people can find dynamic life in Christ. And then last week, Mike gave a great message about how to grow in dynamic life with Christ through loving God and loving people. Today, we're gonna talk about an apocalypse. We're gonna start in verse one of Mark 13. And I want you to use your imagination with me because Jesus and his disciples are in the temple. So take it in. Most of us can only get as far as the court of the Gentiles, which was designated for non-Jews to worship. And so we're just kind of people watching right now. So take a look around. This is the epicenter of Jewish religion and culture. Even though the nation of Israel has been under Roman rule for quite a while now, the temple is an icon of pride and identity for the Jews. This is the third version of the temple. The first one was built by King Solomon about a thousand years ago. Now remember, we're with Jesus in first century. But that temple was destroyed. And so the second temple was built by Zerubbabel about 550 years ago. And then Herod the Great remodeled that one about 50 years ago. That's the one we're standing in. And it is incredible. If you look at it as a structure, the temple itself is 15 stories tall and it is made of stone. It is stone everywhere. How they got it up here is a mystery. Some of these stones weigh over 500 tons apiece. And this place is decorated in gold. I mean, Bruno Mars would have loved this place. It is 24-karat magic everywhere. But before we go off and start singing together, it looks like Jesus and his disciples are starting to leave the temple, and it sounds like they're just as impressed with the temple as we are. In Mark 13, verse 2, It says one of the disciples took out their first-generation iPhone to take a selfie with the temple, saying, Rabbi, this temple is incredible. Look at the amazing stonework. These buildings are unbelievable. Let me post this on the gram real quick. Chilling with Jesus. No big deal. Mm. Now this is when things get a little awkward And I think it would start to feel like time was standing still. Because the next thing that we hear is Jesus' response. To which he says, you see this incredible building? You see these spectacular stones? They're all coming down. Not one of them will remain. (laughs) This is when you would cue the dramatic record scratch. A car would skid somewhere in the background. And a baby would be crying somewhere and all our jaws would drop. I mean, Herod the Great built this temple to be indestructible, and Jesus just said it was going to fall? Now, imagine the conversations that took place between Mark 13, verse 2, and Mark 13, verse 3. Mark didn't record them, but what if it was just stunned silence? Maybe that's why Mark didn't record anything. Or it was shocked speculation. <laughs> I like to think that the guys were like messing with each other. They're like, why did you have to take a selfie in the temple courts? You know you can't take your phone past the gates? Well, Mark didn't record this. The next thing we have is Jesus and his disciples have left the temple and now they're at the Mount Mount, Olive, Mount of Olives. And he's teaching them. This is where we're going to pick up the story. And if you're able, in reverence for the reading, please stand. Verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never Pass away, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the Son of Man, nor the angels in heaven, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away when he leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Go ahead and be seated. Is anyone else scratching their heads with me at this point? I mean, we're not gonna find any of these verses on a throw pillow or a coffee mug. The teachings in Mark 13 have puzzled people for centuries including Bible scholars who differ on the interpretation of these verses as well. These verses are often categorized as apocalyptic writing or an apocalyptic teaching, which our modern dictionaries define as a form of messaging that contains symbolic imagery with an expected cosmic cataclysm that brings about the end of the world. It's a mouthful. Now, the truth is, this is an apocalyptic teaching, but not as our dictionaries define them. According to the Bible scholars of the Bible Project, the Greek word that we translate as apocalypse, it means to reveal, as in something was hidden or unknown, and it has been revealed. When I was dating my wife, Abby, I took her on a date to Freedom Park in Charlotte for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich picnic with Doritos and watermelon on the side. If you need any romantic advice, I am clearly your guy. Well, while we were eating, I surprised my wife with her favorite dessert, homemade key lime pie. Yes, it's incredible. The only thing was, instead of pie, I had put an engagement ring in the Tupperware instead of the pie. And when she opened the container, it apocalypsed, it revealed the ring. Something was hidden, and unknown, and it was revealed. And then the Blue Angel jets flew overhead and colorful fireworks shot off in the sky and acrobats on elephants danced around to celebrate. I mean, the pie was real. But this is how an apocalypse works. Something was hidden or unknown, and it's been revealed. This happens every time an expectant mother has a gender reveal party for her unborn baby. It happens when a college freshman surprises their family with a new tattoo. And it happens with every flash mob promposal. Something was hidden or unknown, and it's been revealed. This is the basic understanding of apocalypse in the Bible. Sometimes it contains some devastating news, but sometimes it just reveals the divine nature of Jesus, leaving people with a response like, I was blind, but now I see, or I didn't know, but now I know. And Jesus had revealed some tremendous news. In Mark 13, Jesus is making an apocalyptic message that feels like it's about the end of the world, but it's actually just about the end of an era. You see, when I grew up, I was an avid Baltimore Orioles fan. But the truth is, I loved Cal Ripken Jr., the shortstop for the Orioles, more than anything else. Cal Ripken played in 2,632 consecutive games, and then he retired from baseball in 2001. That felt like the end of the world for me. It wasn't the end of the world, it was just the end of the Cal Ripken Jr. era. And I didn't know who to cheer for now. I guess I was more of a Baltimore Cal Ripken Jr. fan than a Baltimore Orioles fan. And I have wandered ever since. This is kind of the same thing, more serious than losing your favorite baseball player to retirement. When it came to Jesus' news about the destruction of the temple, it's easy to understand why Mark 13 comes across as a message about the end of the world. The news was huge, but it wasn't about the end of the world. It was about the end of the temple era. And the temple had been around for millennia. You see, once the temple was announced, this was an apocalypse of prophecy. Jesus was telling about something in the future that was unknown and hidden to the disciples that they probably would have never comprehended or they would have never wished to know. This was the structure of pride and identity. They had a history of pain in the past with temples that had been destroyed, and now Jesus is saying, hey, it's about to happen. And then the disciples came to Jesus and asked him what all of us would have asked Jesus at that point. When? When is it going to happen, and what will the sign be? All of us want to know the specifics. All of us want to know the details. All of us want to know when. I mean, kids want to know when are we going to be there. Students want to know when is this class going to be over. All of us want to know when quarantine will be completely lifted. And hopefully none of you are posting in the comments below, when is the sermon going to be over? I hope not. (laughs) Well, it's easy to understand why when is the first question with such big news like the disciples just heard. All of us prefer a countdown timer because it allows us to anticipate what's coming and to gauge the time we have left. But when Jesus told his disciples that the temple was going to be destroyed and he didn't even know when it was going to take place, he didn't set a countdown timer, he set a count up timer. and this would have rattled everyone you see we all want to know when change is going to happen that's our preference but jesus wanted his disciples to know what to do and how to live in the uncertainty and the unknown as the count up climber as the clock is counting up jesus is saying how will you live and what will you do with what you know now As Jesus went on with his teaching, it's it's really hard to get our mind wrapped around it because we're in our century and trying to understand teachings from 2000 years ago. And it can be a little disorienting if we're honest to make sense of everything that Jesus is saying. And his instructions included things like this. Don't be deceived by false messiahs, don't be manipulated by the news, be on your guard for opposition. Pray it doesn't happen during the winter. Get your facts straight. Be alert, keep watch, and stay awake. I think Jesus also said, Wash your hands, wear a mask, and wait six feet apart. Instead of giving them when it would happen, he's telling them what to do and how to live until it happens. When the destruction of the temple happened, it would have rattled everyone. And if the disciples were unprepared, they would have been caught off guard. So Jesus' message is loud and clear. Wake up and pay attention. Because I, as I said before, Jesus even said that he didn't know when it was going to take place, but it happened just like he said it would within the disciples' generation. Because in August of 70 AD, the Roman army would enter the temple of Jerusalem and utterly destroy it, throwing the stones into the valley below, many of which we can see today. The temple was way more than just a meeting place. It was symbolic in so many ways. It represented the presence of God. It represented access to God. It represented the forgiveness of God for sins through the sacrificial system. It represented Israel's identity. And it represented the intersection of heaven and earth. So what happens to all of those things if it doesn't exist? Well, when Jesus started his ministry, he had a favorite phrase that he would use. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is here essentially what jesus was saying is that access to god does not require a temple any longer because i am your access to god it would have been easy for people to misunderstand what he was saying when he talked about the kingdom of heaven because they would have thought yeah that's the temple that's one reason why jesus said heaven and earth will disappear that was a reference to the temple the intersection of heaven and earth. And Jesus is saying, access to the kingdom is through me. Right here, right now. Trust in me and live the kingdom life. Everyone, everywhere. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus was recorded as saying, something greater than the temple is here. And he was talking about himself. Because Jesus came to fulfill everything that the temple represented. The presence of God, access to God, forgiveness of sin through his sacrifice on the cross, a new identity, becoming new creations in him. Jesus was the intersection of heaven and earth because he was fully God and fully man. As we read through Mark 13, I think Jesus is asking a question to his disciples. He's asking them, what will you cling to when what you clung to collapses? What will you cling to when what you clung to collapses? The temple is all that the disciples had known. And Jesus is saying, it's going to be destroyed. So amidst all of the perplexing teaching of Mark 13, Jesus is saying, wake up and pay attention. The temple is going to be gone. Cling to me instead of the temple. When the temple is gone, Jesus promised to be with them forever. Now I think Jesus' questions to his disciples applies to us today as well. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, what will you cling to when what you clung to collapses? It probably won't be a temple, but what has become sacred in your life? Or what is defining your life that you're clinging to that was never meant to be clung to as the ultimate thing? in your life. See Jesus spent a lot of his ministry and his messaging addressing these things that people cling to apart from him. In Mark 9, it was power and superiority. In Mark 11, or excuse me, in Mark 10, it was financial security. In Mark 11, it was religious roadblocks. In Mark 12, it was the rules we choose to live by. And in Mark 13, it was an entire religious structure. For me, I find myself clinging to comfort and routine all the time in place of Jesus. What are you clinging to? You see, we believe that every good thing that we have in our life comes from God as a gift from him. But those good things were never meant to take God's place in our life. And that applies to the temple. The temple was a great place, but it was never meant to take place. God's place in their lives. Jesus wanted his disciples to wake up and pay attention to what they're clinging to. And he wants us to wake up and pay attention to what we're clinging to. There's a lot going on in the world right now. Is it the end of the world? I don't know. But I do know that the clock is counting up. And things have been apocalypsed. Things have been revealed. And I don't think Jesus wants us to miss out on the good things that he is doing because we're clinging too tightly to the temples in our lives that are defining us apart from him. So, Forest Hill, as a church, as followers of Jesus, let's not be too set in our ways that we miss living God's way. Jesus is saying, wake up and pay attention. And I think a good example of this took place in in Ethiopia. In April, religious groups were granted permission to broadcast public prayer services on primetime TV in response to COVID-19. Think about it for a minute. An entire nation encouraged to turn towards God in prayer? Let's wake up and pay attention to what is being revealed. And I think things are being revealed in three areas of our lives. The first is, let's wake up and pay attention to what God is doing in our personal lives. What are you clinging to apart from Jesus? And what does he want to do in your life right now? Maybe some of you need to follow Jesus for the first time. Let go of what you're clinging to that's temporary and cling to him. Maybe you need to follow Jesus again because you left faith or you left church for some reason and Jesus is saying, come follow me. Or maybe you need to follow Jesus more obediently. The second area is let's wake up and pay attention to what God is doing in our church. Even though we can't be together, God has still called us as a church to build bridges that connect everyone to dynamic life in Christ. So how are you viewing your neighbors around you or your friends online? Who are you praying for? Who are you serving? Who are you building a bridge to? to share the message of Jesus with. And then the third area is what is God, is to wake up and pay attention to what God is doing in our world. None of us could have expected the extent to which COVID and quarantine would have affected us. But we have seen some incredible acts of generosity and sacrifice. So how can we join Jesus in the good work being done? And then in the face of racial injustice and inequality, how can we join Jesus in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth online, in our conversations, in our homes, with our families, in our neighborhoods, and throughout greater Charlotte Charlotte, to confront racism and bring healing to our land, our nation, and our world? Let's wake up and live committed to Jesus faithful with the calling that he has given for us till, and compassionate towards all people. Let's wake up and trade up. Pray with me. Jesus, we look to you for dynamic life, a life that transforms us from the inside out. It affects how we think, how we live, and our impact with one another and in our world. So I pray in response to this that we would see the things that we cling to that were never meant to be clung to and that we would trade up for you because you will never let us down. The things in our lives will collapse but you never will. Thank you that we can put our hope, trust in your promise. And I pray that our church would respond by trading up by waking up, by paying attention to the work that you're doing in our lives, in our church, and throughout our world. We want to be a part of it, to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.